The Lord be with you, everyone. And it is an honest joy to be back and sharing the Scripture with you. Um, the reason for the delay is that here in Texas we have uh, the explosion of the cedar trees, and that produces what we call cedar fever. And it meant I couldn't talk for coughing. And that's why it's taken all this time to get back. And while I'm talking about places, um, let me quickly tell you where I'm going to be in the first months of this year. Uh, you will see this up behind me on the screen with details. But in just a very few days of you watching this one, I will be in Houston, Texas. That's a conference. There's a number of speakers but I will be speaking uh, on the Thursday evening and then throughout the conference every morning. And so that is going to be a wonderful time. And then uh, I will be in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, March the 20th through the 22nd. And then I will be having a retreat. Now, this retreat is our retreat. That is we booked a hotel and we're having the retreat because it was so such a unique, and I, I say that word carefully, um, those of you who came last year would not know how unique it was, but it was a unique and one that people still are talking about, the retreat we had in St. Petersburg, Florida. And so we'll be back there June the 12th and 13th, and it will not be in the same hotel. We will be in a hotel on the beach and much better facilities. And then June the 19th, I will be in Virginia, and that will be um, 19th through the 21st. And all that's up behind me on the screen, and we'll be there for you to get the details afterward. But possibly I'll be able to meet some of you in one of those places. Okay. Oh, and by the way, we are putting together, at least I say we, um, there is someone uh, over Barry Manson in Sheffield, England, who is putting together a possible tour of the UK in October. But that is not yet established, but it's it's almost there. That will be wonderful to return to the land of my birth and to meet many of you that watch these programs there in the UK. And so that's in October, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway, let's go to Romans and chapter 15. Romans and chapter 15, and in verse 13 you have one of those blessings, shall I say, or shall I even say, which would be very scriptural according to the original language, one of the wish blessings, wish prayers of Paul, where he says in verse 13 of chapter 15 of Romans, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look maybe more than one week on this word hope, the God of hope, 
fill you with joy and peace and the end result that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If ever there was a day when the church needs to realize that the very essence of the gospel, the essence of who we are as believers is hope. And it is a hope that is entirely different from everything that the world calls hope. In fact, when the world says hope, they they really do not mean anything of what we mean by hope based in Scripture. Hope in terms of this world is almost its opposite. It's a word of uncertainty. It's a more a Las Vegas word of the roll of the dice. You know, you stand with people in a day of their crisis, and they will say, well, all we can do is hope. And by that, they mean this could go either way, but we're putting our bet on it. May it go the right way? But it's it's very dicey, you know, because I, I don't know. We, we don't know anything. It's up for grabs. And so we're going to hope that everything goes okay. In, in a time of uncertainty, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll cross my fingers and I'll, I'll hope for the best. Well, could you, could you flush that definition down the toilet? It, that is what the world has made hope to be, but it has nothing to do with what this verse is talking, nothing to do with it. It says that he is the God of hope, which means that in all that he is, in all that he does, he is the God of hope. And therefore, it means he, as the creator, and in his determination and intention for this entire world, planet, history, you and I, it is spoken into being with the confident expectation that he is the God of hope. He cannot lie. What he says shall undoubtedly be. Now that, we're touching hope there. When I say the expectancy of God, when I say that every thought that he has, every word that he has and does speak, it cannot fail. It cannot. That's hope. It cannot. He never speaks with uncertainty. When God speaks, it is never the roll of a dice. It is done in the moment of his thought, in the moment of his intention, in the moment he speaks, when it is written because it has been spoken, it is so. And it awaits manifestation, but it already is so. That is hope as the Bible means it. And therefore, I I often just drop the word hope because people will always revert to this um, idea of uncertainty. Uh, and I just say instead, which actually in today's world is a better translation of the word, uh, expectancy. That is at the heart of this, that, that 
I say again, every thought, every intention, every word he has spoken that has become written, that he speaks into our hearts, it is 1,000% expectancy. It is sureness. It is that knowing it is done and therefore shall be. Therefore, when I meet with this God of Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I never meet with impatience. Impatience is in this area of uncertainty of is it going to happen, when's it going to happen, it ought to have happened by now. No, when I come to Him, I meet with perfect rest. I meet with indeed the divine patience because it is done and therefore there is nothing that can stop it. So when I meet with this, our God, he is incapable of frustration. Let that sink in. Let me go further. Hope, the God of hope means that it is impossible for God to enter into depression, and it is impossible for depression to hold sway where this hope is present. Do you understand that? Uh, And there is no doubt in God. You see, the word doubt means it's on one leg and then it's on the other leg. It's, yes, it's almost, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. It's it's double-mindedness. It is seeing double, that's doubt. Well, God only sees single. He only sees what he has determined. He only sees the success of his word. So, you see, he never abandons a promise. Now, now that's a thought. There's never a thing that he said that he gets so frustrated that he throws in the towel and walks away, abandons it, and and there it sits for eternity, a half-finished project. No, that, that all originated when sin entered the human race. That's part of the great error by which the human race lives. God never abandons. He's incapable of abandoning a project. He's incapable of abandoning a promise. Do you begin to see the assuredness that goes with this word hope? When when I'm speaking with Father... When when the Holy Spirit is speaking in me, we are dealing with the ultimate and the only realist who is the ultimate and only optimist. You see, we we often associate the optimist uh, as someone that is not a realist. Well, our God is the only real. And he is the only optimist. He is incapable of fear. For even among humans, his perfect love casts out all fear. Fear and love cannot exist at the same time. And so he's incapable of fear, therefore incapable of the negative. He's incapable of anxiety. Boy, I I, I could stop there and just repeat everything I've said until it sinks in. This is our God. 
We, we, we do not have long discussions with him that are our frustrations. We, we, we do not spend time questioning whether he's able to do what he said. All of that is contained in the fact that he is the God of hope. If I, if I could put it like this, to be in the presence of God is to be in the aura, that, that radiance, that, that energy of real expectation, the knowing it is done, and we now wait with expectancy of manifestation. That, that's, that's biblical hope because it is the God of hope. So when we say God of hope, we mean he is the source of hope. He is the God of hope. Hope springs forth from him. And without him, there is no hope. He is its very source. It's where the spring of hope bubbles out and pours into our humanity. And at the same time, he's the object of hope, not only where it begins, but he is the reason it begins. And so we look to him and rest in his hope. For remember, there is nothing that God has that he would have unless he could share it with you. Did you get that? There is nothing that God wants that he can't share with you. He is not that wretched monster that came out of Adam in the Garden of Eden that he he worshipped in the darkness, that God who's got everything and doesn't want you to have it. The God who just says, grovel, you worthless wretch. No, all that came out of sin. The real God loves you with passion. The real God is by his very being and essence the one who gives himself to you. And he is the one that delights to give all that he is and all that he has to you just because he loves you. And right at the heart of that is hope. That's the God of hope. And if you read um, again what we read at the beginning, now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. It's not a matter of sitting back to just look at, at this God of hope as you would in a wax museum and say, wow, he's, he's got a jolly lot of hope. No, it's never like, it's never, you don't, God is not something to be observed as an odd curiosity. If, if he's the God of hope, it means that's what he wills to be to you fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in order that. He doesn't even leave it there. He he pulls that out. If, If that be the case, then you, you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that what all I've said there concerning God's hope, his expectancy, is that which he wills you and I to personally and perpetually live in. By the way, this is called the gospel. Do you recognize it? It, it, it? Now, I didn't say the gospel is when you die, you you go to heaven, and, and no, yes, that's okay. That's okay, but that's a long way off right now. Right now, the gospel 
You have to say now when you say the gospel. It's not something about a hereafter. It is as you are living in this world, which essentially is a hopeless world, we live in hope and we stand out like beautiful radiant lights in the middle of a dense darkness. And that light is our hope that we have from God and in God. The sureness of his expectation is, is the foundation of the faithfulness to his word. Whatever, remember, whatever he has said, whatever he intends, that is a done deal. It is expectant and sure. And, and therefore, we can rest in his word. We, we can, without thought, without debate, without fretting, we, we rest in the faithfulness of God to what he has intended and said. Because that's hope. That, that's this... It's beyond discussion, you see. We don't, we don't go around, well, I wonder if, perhaps. Nor do we give that other expression that comes from that God Adam invented. Well, if it be your will, good grief. He has told us his will. He has revealed his will in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit brings his will to you. And hope never says, if it be your will. We know his will. We've touched his heart in Jesus. We know. And Jesus is right at the heart of hope. And that's why when you read in the New Testament of, of how God purposed to bless you, purposed to bring you into his family, before you were even born, he purposed it. It always says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. He is it. And that, that's, what, that's the gospel. You see, that, that I, I've said it twice now, I don't want to keep harping on it, but the great lie, we, we've got such a poor understanding of, of what the entrance of sin into the human race was all about. So many people think it was just, well, you know, they, they ate the fruit and, and God gets upset when people eat fruit that he, he said it he, and, and so, because you ate the fruit, now he's going to punish you forever and ever and ever and ever. Well, if that's your God, I guess you'd better worship him. But um, that's not, no, no. The, the essence of the sin that came into the Garden of Eden was the lie. It was the ultimate lie concerning the character of God and concerning you. And out of that lie came all the error, came all the deviation. So the life is completely out of whack. And, and, and so you believe the lie concerning God, that, that monster that Adam invented. That, that's where many, many, many people, that's, that's their God. Um, it's an error, terrible, terrible error. And then out of that, believe in in ourselves as the lie would describe us. And out of all of that, um, enter death. 
You see, and that's not merely we, we've reduced death to that which happens at the end of physical life, but death, could, could we say, better understood as the collapse of all hope. You ever thought about that? Death is really the collapse of hope. It doesn't matter what I put my hand to, I know that sooner or later death is going to destroy it. Uh, it's the end of hope. Um, so every dream, every purpose, every ambition, um, the hopes that mankind holds now, since this lie entered in, they're rooted in death and will ult- ultimately come to nothing. That they, They're ashes before they're even birthed. And that brings about the other word that goes with hopeless is meaningless. I mean, what's the point of life? Just when I'm beginning to get a hang of what life is about, it's over. And and so to everything I touch, it's it's got in it that meaningless, what are you doing this for? It's going to collapse in the end anyway. Um, and another word came in with the word death, and that's impossible. Up until then, there was no such word. But now, death entered. So death brings hopelessness. Death brings meaninglessness. Death brings impossible. And and that's... (laughs) You talk about hell. That's, That's living hell on our streets and in our homes. To get out of bed in the morning with that kind of hopelessness. What's the point? But the real God, you see, didn't abandon you. The real God didn't dump that on you. No, we brought it about ourselves by believing the lie. And the real God immediately, in in fact, so immediately, it still stuns me to this day, that immediately upon humankind accepting that lie concerning who he is and then concerning who they are, immediately into the face of that accepted emptiness, accepted meaningness of humankind, the real God announced hope. That's incredible. The real God didn't give us two seconds to wallow in our situation. He immediately announced the entrance into the human race of the one, the one we know as Jesus, who would reverse sin. He would reverse death. He then would reverse hopelessness into the divine hope, God hope. Jesus is the hope of mankind. And that's the story of the Old Testament. That, that, um, you know, couldn't wait. But, But that's what was happening throughout the Old Testament. Hope was making an intrusion into human history and finally explodes in the incarnation of Jesus. And we we have just celebrated, you know, the Jesus in the manger, and uh, which, yes, I, I believe he was the babe who was born in the manger, the feeding trough, 
in a camel truck stop in Bethlehem. But do you realize what that really was? Seriously. So so many Christians jump immediately to the cross. If you ask, why did Jesus come? They say he came to die. But no one these days seems to ask, who is this person who came to die? Who is this babe in the manger? And the word that we use to describe that is incarnation. That is that God, God the Son, he actually took to himself, he assumed genuine humanity. God, and this is beyond my tongue to really say, I only report truth, that God the Son, the creator of the cosmos, actually assumed our humanity and assumed it in the womb of the Virgin Mary, so that for nine months, God the Creator experienced the same growth that you and I experienced in the womb of the Virgin. That God the Creator has become one of us without ceasing to be who He is. He is going to be God inside our humanity. And when that babe is born in a rush of water, just like you were, incarnation, God has joined the human family. God has become my human brother. Now there is the greatest statement of God hope. Why do I say that? Would God have joined the human race if it was already scheduled to be damned and burned? (laughs) That wouldn't make much sense, would it? He joined the human race, which meant the limitless hope of God for you and I. You were worth joining the race to bring that to Did you get that? Let me say it again, that when God joined the human race, that was telling the human race, I've not abandoned you. There is a future that it is worth my joining you forever. And understand that's what incarnation means. It doesn't mean that he became man until he rose from the dead and then shocked off his humanity. No, no, no. He is still at this moment as I speak. The human God is running this universe. He never gave up. He never quit. He never stopped being one of us. If God joined the human race, there is hope. It's God's own expectancy that he shall accomplish the work he set out to do. And he hopes, he expects, he is confident, he is immovable concerning the word he has spoken. He's not given up on you, or Jesus would never have become incarnate. 
Did you hear that? He, he has not given up on you. If he had, then God would not have become God incarnate. He would have not have come inside the human race to get us. The, the, the incarnation is declaring this is not as good as it gets. He has come. He's joined us. He knows the plans. It's worth his joining us in order to carry us right to the heart of a creation so new, so wonderful that eye has not seen nor ear heard. It's never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him and then complete the verse. But God has revealed it to us through his Holy Spirit. Yes, it came in Jesus. You couldn't have dreamed it. No prophecy in the Old Testament could ever reach that far. They couldn't imagine it. Well, how did it work? It worked in a way that leaves me speechless every time I try to say it. That he not only became one of us, but as one of us, he gave himself completely into our hands and told us that we could do what we wanted with him. He wouldn't stop loving us. Think about that. Because it's what we human beings do that has screwed everything up. And now God becomes one of us and says, I'm putting myself into your hands for you to do with me whatever you will. And I am going to turn whatever you do to me into your salvation. And what did the human do with Jesus? They tortured him. And they tortured him with intent to murder him. And I listen as they do that. And 1 Peter 2.24 makes the point. He never threatened them. He never said, don't you know who I am and I'm going to get you for this. Nowhere do I hear him saying, I'll damn you in hell for doing this. He doesn't speak revenge. He doesn't speak threat. Instead, what is he doing for every act of torture on its way to murder? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Which means he included the Father into that because it was the Father's intent to forgive that was now reflected in the Son's intention to forgive. You say, well, I, I, I thought the father was torturing Jesus. No, no. That's what Adam's God told you. You read the scripture again and again and again. Those who were there said it was by the hands of wicked men that he suffered. It was by the hands of wicked men that he was crucified. That's what we did to him. And when we did, and now what I've just said we said very quickly that we can spend a whole day just saying what I just said. He entered into every pain and every suffering of mind, emotions, and body at the hands of wicked humans, us. 
they laid upon him the sin of us all. They did. And God said amen to it. That was the plan. And Jesus said amen to it. That was the plan. He enters into a relationship with the human race at our very worst. Can you think of a greater sin than setting out to murder God and do so with torture that was the worst in human history? That's what happened. And in it all is the hope of God, his expectancy that he will enter into such a relationship with us that he will carry us with him to death. When he died, we died. Our sin, the greatest sin that a human could commit, was carried into death with him. So we died in his death, and his death was by the hands of those for whom he died. And it looks like the end, it looks like hopeless. If all death is hopelessness, then when God the Creator is put to death by his creation. That looks like ultimate hopelessness. It's the end of all possibility of hope. And then, as they said, those who were there, that this happened by the hands of wicked men, they then said, but God raised him from the dead. Now, what is that? Raised him from the dead is not resuscitation. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he died again later, as did Jairus' daughter. That was a, a wonderful, a miraculous, a glorious resuscitation. But resurrection means that death is dead. How can you kill death? By rising from it and saying that's the last time you have authority. God raised him from the dead means that death didn't have the last word. Death died. It was hope like you've never imagined that came out of the tomb and came out of the tomb not as a ghost but as a solid, substantial body a body that was no longer subject to any of the laws of death and limitation, and therefore that body that sat on a chair in the kitchen in the place where the disciples were that night and asked if he could have some food, and he sat there in front of them and ate it, and the crumbs fell on the plate, and the bones of the fish were on the side of the plate, And he turned, he said, handle me, touch me, I'm not a ghost. Death is finished. Jesus went into death at our hands, carried us with him. And then 
God the Father raised him from the dead and says, well, you, you, you've expressed your feelings about this and killed him. Now I will express our feelings and raise him from the dead and in so doing kill death and in so doing therefore release the human race from death, raise the human race with him. And so it's called a living hope. It means a hope that is based on a life we've never comprehended. It means a hope that is rooted in resurrection. Because if death is conquered, then everything is possible. If, if, if you murdered God and now he's alive, but alive saying, I carried you with me through death and you're alive with me. And if death is dead, then Satan has lost his authority and has been stripped of it. In fact, in the earliest church, they had, well, some of you listening in Greece will know this to be true today. It's called the Easter laugh. It was usually on Easter day, celebrating the resurrection, or sometimes, and I think it is today on the Monday afterward, it's called the Easter laugh, when, when people will laugh. I mean, it's a 24 laugh, 24 hour laugh, and a hilarious laugh. As they say, can you imagine, can you imagine it? Satan put him to death, and it was death that destroyed Satan's power. And then they'll all slap each other on the back and laugh. Uh, the, the craziness of the gospel, the, this hilarity of the gospel, that, that he took hopelessness, he took it, and the whole world laughed and says, well, that's over, it's hopeless now, isn't it? He's gone forever. And then he's raised from the dead, which leaves the entire world what? <laughs> They've got nothing left. That was always, you see, that's always at the end of their threat. If you don't do what we say, we'll kill you. That was at the end of everything Satan had to say. I condemn you and then I'm going to kill you and you'll die in my hands. Okay, that's their, that's their ace card. That's it. And what did they do? They, they did that to Jesus. Only he rose from the dead. And now they've got nothing left. Satan hasn't got an accusation left against you. Satan doesn't have anything left to use against you. You get it? Every sin you've ever committed cannot match murdering God. And that's been forgiven. And so... What do you stand? There is no condemnation. There's nothing left to condemn you. He's alive. All things are possible. It's a new world where all limitations and all meaningless and all hopelessness has been blown away by the resurrection and by the giving of the Spirit. Peter talked about this in First Peter one three where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy 
And that word in the Old Testament is loving kindness, his covenant commitment has caused us to be born again to a living hope. When were you born again to a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, not fade away. I mean, this, this is the, it can't die, it can't die. The resurrection is the bursting into human history of real living hope. A hope so beyond us that it's never been thought of before, never been imagined even by the prophets of the Old Testament, never been considered. No one had ever even debated its possibility. It changed everything. It made everything new. It gave us a final definition of what hope means in the Bible. In the gospel, it is restful. That is, you don't have to do anything to get it. It came into your possession in the resurrection of Jesus. God did it. Therefore, hope is restful. And you have to include the word confident. There's no doubt about this. There's no debate about it. It's guaranteed. It's the expectation of a good end. It's not the roll of a dice. We are expecting with God's own expectancy the goodness of God in our lives here and now and in our lives as they go into the ages of ages. It's a good end in a matter that it arises from God and is defined inside our history. It's not a fantasy. It happened as the clock ticked in the resurrection of Jesus. It's a hope that ended the rule of death. It took impossible out of our vocabulary. It introduced to us a new world governed by God's own hope. The God of hope. God hope assures us, assures you that he has achieved salvation in all its dimensions. That is not, not, not just something happening after death. I mean, when I get up out of bed, every moment of my day is now energized and throbbing with this hope. It's been etched into time and space to be lived out in our lives. Look, put it this way. When Jesus said, it is finished, another way of putting it is, he shouted, it's begun. Because what he finished in the cross caused a new life and a new hope to burst upon the world. Now, how can I put this? Because this is really part of it. See, and I'll say religion. You, are you beginning to know what I mean by that? It's not one particular denomination or faith. It, it's, it's that whole system of a do-it-yourself religion. As the word means, it's a return to bondage, the bondage of struggle and try and 
beat yourself, see yourself through the eyes of that monster God that Adam invented, religion. And I I was reading, you can read plenty of this stuff on the web, and um, this, this chap sends out, you know, daily stuff to encourage your ears. <laughs> and he said, and I had to read it three times, did he really say it? He did. It was staring me there in the face. He said, Jesus, oh, this sounds crazy when I try. He said, Jesus gave us the opportunity to be saved. Ah, uh, well, that's no good. He gave us the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, if you're drowning uh, and there is a life um, preserver there up on the pier, well, I mean, that life preserver is an opportunity you could not drown. But, I mean, take a good look at it. It's an opportunity if ever you get your hands on it. If he only gave us an opportunity, you know, there's a new iPhone in the store. You've got the opportunity to have it, don't you? As long as you've got the cash to buy it. So you join the multitudes who press their face against the window and say, there it is, it's a new iPhone. My opportunity, I, if I had the cash, I could go in the store and buy it. Is that, is that what you believe? That Jesus merely gave you the opportunity? That's not hope. No wonder they say, well, all we can do is hope. Yeah, it's as uncertain as you can be. Because really, I mean, whether you will get that iPhone or not has got nothing to do with Apple. They, they gave you the opportunity. That's it. No, if you're going to have that iPhone, it's got 100% to do with you having enough cash to buy it. And if Jesus only gave you the opportunity to be saved then if you don't have the faith to lay hold on it, you're finished. Opportunity or not, everything depends on you having faith and you having hope in his word. I mean, is that in the Bible? Can can you imagine Jesus resurrected now? He ascends to the Father. And the father and the son look at each other and say, well, you did a, you did a good job, boy. And there, there they are, father and son, and the Holy Spirit dancing around them. And they, they've got sweaty hands. And they're, they're saying, well, well you, you, you did it. You made it possible. You made it possible, that's for sure. Let's just hope somebody has enough faith to want it. Let's hope somebody, somebody will... Buy your salvation with their face. We've given the opportunity. Let's hope someone will be able to produce the faith to purchase it. Do you see how stupid that is? Our salvation, my hope, is not in my faith because my faith goes up and down. Your salvation is not in the quality of your decision to accept Jesus. 
because that never ends and that's why you're going forward every jolly week to try and get saved because you believe you've got to make the perfect decision and you're trying so hard and then the preacher said you didn't go all the way you didn't pay the price you didn't get oh come on if salvation depends on your decision no one's going to get saved Let, let me put it this way I gave this illustration at our retreat back in December and apparently it helped so many people it's coming to the point where they're just calling it the retreat when I said this one thing. Uh, look, uh, you see, I this happened to me. It's happened, to, I guarantee, just about everybody that's listening to me. Only it happened in in, in London, in England, uh, and we were down there at Piccadilly Circus. Busy, 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 busy. Cars, buses, taxis. And, but uh, I, I know London, and I didn't bother me in the least. And our, our little daughter was there with us, very little thing. And um, she she looked at all of the crazy traffic coming and going and 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 she looked up at me, and you could see that there was fear. I mean, how are we going to get across this street? And then I felt her little hand. It was putting itself into my hand. And my hand then took hold of her little hand and engulfed her hand. And suddenly she straightened up, and fear left her, and she looked now expectant, as to when are we going to go? And we plunged out into the street, and she marched along beside me as if she owned London. I've never forgotten that, because I realized she didn't have the faith. She didn't have the know-how. It didn't matter how much she decided didn't matter how much she dedicated her little self to cross that street. She didn't have what it took. But she knew I did, and therefore she trusted me and put her hand of trusting me into my hand. And what happened? Immediately she participated in my faith to cross the street. She participated in my know-how. And when I walked across the street, she walked across the street inside of my faith. And my faith was inside of her. She was caught up into me. It didn't depend on her decision. She trusted my decision. If I decided we could cross the street, we could cross the street. It didn't depend on how, whether she felt she could. She knew I felt I could, and she trusted me. Do, do you get it? Look, Jesus told, told the, the story of the sheep that the sheep did not call on the shepherd to come and get it. The sheep did not exhibit enough faith and hope in the shepherd to get itself saved. Huh. 
In fact, there's no record the sheep ever called for the shepherd. Probably looked at the shepherd to begin with as a rather nasty interruption. No, the shepherd came because the shepherd had a hope in the sheep's future. The shepherd came because he had a view of that sheep as being his wealth and his inheritance and my sheep, I'm coming to get my sheep. And when he comes, he takes the sheep and he puts it round his neck ones it with him. And when they go away from the wilderness, the sheep is saved inside the shepherd's faith. He knows how to get out of here. He has hope that we're already out. And I just rest in that. That's, that's the sheep. Do you get it? Not my assistant here, Andrew, uh, he, he adds to that and says, when the sheep gets home, it says, I've decided to, to let the shepherd into my heart, and, and I've decided to follow him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good job he decided first, isn't it? Thanks, Andrew, for that. That, that, that is so true. We, we, we decide based on his already decision. We accept our already given acceptance. We rest. We rest in the other. The, the other parable of, of Jesus in that same chapter, that the younger brother, watch him go into that feast that's in his honor. <laughs> he, he doesn't go there on his faith. His faith had already been announced. The, the best his faith could do was to say, make me as one of your hired servants. Did you get it? The best his faith could do was say, let me carry a tray into the feast and serve others. What on earth is that younger brother now doing, walking in, in the best robe of festivity with shoes on his feet, I'm walking with the authority of being the honored guest to sit at the head table and be waited on by hired servants. Where did that come from? He trusted the hope of his father, the expectancy of his father, that his love would win in the end. He's trusting in the father's word of love. And because he trusts his father, he begins to participate in all that the Father believes and accept, expects. Huh. You see, He did it. He has carried us. He's carried you from death to life. He has brought into your existence a life, a possible, that can never die. In fact, he's changed the very nature of that which happens at the end of life. For Jesus said, you, you never really die. You just come straight into my presence. And part of that is his faith that did it. His faith, his faith that put himself into the hands of wicked men. His faith that says, kill me and I'll turn that to be your salvation. I, that's not my faith, that was his faith. 
his hope that we are carried in him out from death. And he did it. He did that. I, I, I wouldn't have a clue. So then what, what is this? We trust Jesus. And in trust in him, we participate in everything he did. And we participate in everything the Father has given him. And we participate in being in him and he in us. And we sit down with him in the heavenly right now. Where we live right now is both heaven and earth all mixed up together. We trust in him. We hope in him. And therefore we hope in his hope and we faith with his faith and we participate in the life that he has come to give us. That's it. See, hoping God, the hope of God. It's not our fragile, changing, distracted hope, but is his hope given to us by the act of his grace, the salvation gift. And all I do is just surrender and flop into his arms and trust him. Dad is going to get me across the street, so I trust him. And all this is through the Holy Spirit. Um, well, there, there's more. I guess we'll have to take another week on this. Because I, I want to tell you how this works day by day by day. You know, this isn't just some cosmic thing. It's it's not a matter of... See, m- most Christianity's got no connection to today. Even when they're trying to make you sign on the dotted line, they don't even bother with today, except you might get killed today. They always bring that up. But um, their salvation is, where will you spend eternity? Hope! <laughs> Hope is about now! Hope is about your going to work this morning. Hope is about the kitchen and the grocery store. Hope is about sitting there in school to pass exams. Hope, hope penetrates every area of human existence so that every challenge you have in this life now, every opportunity, every risk you're called upon to take, every threat that comes against you, That's all part of hope. And to all those opportunities and to all those challenges, I say your eyes have never yet seen what is potential here because the spirit of hope is within you. Your ears have not yet heard what is possible in this moment. It's never entered your imagination. That's the Christian life. It's now. It takes life by the horns and lives it. For it lives from a hope that has dismissed all meaningless. It's dismissed all impossible. Dismissed all hopelessness. And comes into every minute area of your life with hope. And it's not a struggle to hope. And it's not a struggle to faith. It's holding daddy's hands in the hand of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and participating in the divine hope, divine faith. Well, as I said, the rest of what I've got to say, we'll have to wait for a week. 
But I trust that this is good foundation to let you really know what hope is. And, and, and I assure you, I, 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 I would push you <laughs> to use the word expectancy instead of hope because hope has got so much baggage from the 21st century. But this is what you're called to. So this is my longing desire for you this night. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you, you, this day, tomorrow, this week, you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've got to throw this in. I'm sorry. The word abound there, this can't wait till next week. The word abound means it is the personal energy of the Spirit hoping underneath you, buoying you up. The word means in the Greek that you are completely surrounded by hope as a shield that protects you. And it's on your head, the helmet of salvation, which is hope. And, and, and therefore, in, in your thoughts and imaginations, the way you look at life, that is, you're, you're completely, you're buoyed up. That's, that's the word, abound. It's all over. It's all around. It's underneath. It's, may you thus abound in hope this week. And I'll just have to quit because otherwise we'll be here all night. And so now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, who is unbegun and endless hope, may he, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, thus bless you and cause you this night and this week to abound in hope. So I bless you, and that is the way it is. Amen.